Since the very early days of humankind, we have always been asking questions. However, as time passes us by, so do people's lives, and this leaves us unable to ask these pioneers about what they did and how they lived and what they learned. We have to make ourselves content with sharing and learning those stories instead. So join me this episode as I tell you a little bit more about the father of modern physics, Galileo Galilei. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Quantum Mic, as always, I'm your host Owen, and today we are going to be doing the first episode of our new series called Relative Greats, where I do a small biography on interesting people from physics who I can't possibly interview because they are presently deceased. In these bios, I will be mainly focusing on things that they did in regards to physics and related fields, but I'll also be covering who they were and adding in some other fun things that I find interesting. Relative Great episodes will be published every other episode, so since the Quantum Mic is set to publish every second week currently, expect one interview and then one Relative Great episode every single month. Now with that out of the way, let's get into this. Galileo. For most people who aren't into physics or astronomy, this name likely brings to mind thoughts of a telescope, maybe a renaissance-dressed scientist with a big white bushy beard, the Inquisition, and that one part of the song, Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. You know which section I'm talking about. Now, there is so much more to this key figure of the scientific revolution, so let's learn a bit about him. Galileo Galilei, although he often called himself just Galileo, was born in 1564 in the city of Pisa, but he ended up spending most of his childhood in Florence. To put this into context, at this time, the Renaissance, which had been centered around Italian city-states similar to Florence, or Florence in general too, was coming to an end, while two other great events in European history were only just beginning. 47 years before Galileo's birth, the actions of a monk named Martin Luther had helped bring the Reformation to life in Europe, splitting the Catholic Church Nicholas Copernicus's De Revolutionibus Orbitum Coestalium, my Latin is horrible, but in English that translates into On the Revolution of the Celestial Spears, which was published on his deathbed in 1543 and challenged the Catholic Church's geocentric model with his heliocentric one, had begun the scientific revolution. These events greatly led to the world Galileo lived in, one where new ideas were growing throughout Europe alongside a Christian faith that was divided and a Catholic church who had become very intolerant to any changes to their worldview. It was a time when you would definitely be expecting the Spanish Inquisition. Now as a child, Galileo had a phenomenal education. He was tutored throughout his youth, and he was also a devout Catholic, and even considered becoming a priest until his dad convinced him to go to university for medicine. Because of course he did. So at this point, we have a 16-year-old Galileo. He wanted to be a priest, but now is instead off to university to study medicine. You might be wondering, how is this even remotely related to physics? Well, hold on your horses, we're just about to get there. The story goes that while studying medicine, either during a lecture or in a room at the university, Galileo saw some chandeliers swinging in the wind. He noticed the rhythmic motion of them and was so interested in it that he went home and set up two pendulums, each of equal length, and then he set one off at a larger arc than the other, 
and began swinging them and observed them and found that pendulums swung in time with each other. He found this incredibly fascinating. And so this, along with the fact that he ended up in a geometry lecture a few times by accident, uh, he got very interested in wanting to study natural philosophy, which is what modern day science is. And it's very much more physics than science. Anyways, after convincing his father, he managed to change his studies to mathematics and natural philosophy. So pretty much physics, and thus began his science career. Now, if I was covering every single detail of Galileo's life after this point, we'd be here for quite a long time. He was a very busy man. Uh, but if this episode piques your interest and you really think this Galileo character is very cool, which he is, I promise you, he's really awesome, I highly recommend that you go out and learn more about him. But for the sake of keeping on top of the time, I'm going to just be talking about his major moments scientifically. So science-wise, Galileo is most known for his impact on astronomy. One misconception about his astronomical impact on astronomy is that he invented the telescope. This is blatantly false. The first telescope was actually created by Hans Lippershey, but Galileo did take Hans' design and modify his refracting telescope to have a 30 times magnification. It was even named after him, and this is what we call a Galilean telescope today. Now talking about Galileo and astronomy, it would be a complete disservice to him to not mention his most influential discovery, which was Jupiter's moons. In 1910, Galileo discovered what he described to look like three fixed stars. He could only see when looking through the telescope at Jupiter. Now, over a number of nights, he observed them and noticed that there were actually four, and they were in fact moving in such a way that they must be moving around the planet. He named these moons the Medician moons, after the Grand Duke of Tuscany, but you may know them today as the Galilean moons, Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto. Galileo's discovery of objects orbiting another planet was revolutionary. At the time, the Catholic Church used the Aristotelian cosmological model, which said that all heavenly bodies should circle the Earth. This discovery, however, brought him headlong into the current conflict between the Church and the heliocentric model, which said that, no, the bodies went around the sun. As you might remember from earlier, I mentioned that at this time, the Catholic Church was beginning to be unadaptive with regards to changing their doctrine, and a few years after Galileo was born, a guy named Copernicus had said that the Aristotelian geocentric model that the Church used was wrong, and that, in fact, the universe was heliocentric. This was a primary battle between the scientific observation and biblical texts. Now, nowadays we know that the Earth orbits the Sun and smaller bodies orbit other planets, such as the Moon orbiting the Earth because of gravity. However, at the time, they had no idea. But there was currently, a, I could go into a lot of detail on this, maybe we'll do an episode on Copernicus because it's really cool. And it's not quite as black and white as I'm making it sound by saying that it's the biblical text birthing the scientific experiments and the scientific data. It's really cool. Anyways, tangent over, back to the story. Now, based on his observations of the Galilean's moons, Galileo became a defender of the heliocentric model. After all, he reasoned, if objects could orbit planets, shouldn't the planets then orbit the sun? This view, however, did not put Galileo in the best position and made him quite unpopular with some of the more religious world leaders. However, Galileo did have one advantage at this time. That was 
his previous career choice of wanting to be a priest. This meant that he had the knowledge to support his claims both factually and theologically. A prime example of this is the time that Galileo sent a letter to the Grand Duchess of Tuscany. Since the Grand Duchess had complained to one of Galileo's friends about why the Bible proved that the heliocentric model was wrong and why Galileo was so stupid f to follow it. In his letter, he argued that the heliocentric model was in fact not wrong and did not contradict the Bible, and that the Bible was also a book of faith and morals and not science, and so it should not be used as evidence in this case. The letter is actually incredibly good. I read it and it's phenomenal, so I'm going to leave a link to the translated version down below. But just to give you a concept of the world Galileo was living in at the time, here are a few sentences from the letter on his view of what's going on. The Most Serene Grand Duchess Mother Some years ago, as your Serene Highness well knows, I discovered in the heavens many things that had not been seen before our own age. The novelty of these things, as well as some consequences which followed them in contradiction to the physical notion commonly held among academic philosophers, stirred up against me no small number of professors as if I had placed these things in the sky with my own hands in order to upset nature and overturn the sciences. They seemed to forget that the increase of known truth stimulates the investigation, establishment, and growth of the arts, not their diminution or destruction, showing a greater fondness for their own opinion than for truth they thought to deny and disprove the new things which if they had cared to look for themselves, their own senses would have demonstrated to them. To this end, they hurled various charges and published numerous writings filled with vain arguments, and they had the grave mistake of sprinkling these with passages taken from places in the Bible which they had failed to understand properly and which were ill-suited for their purposes. It's only the first paragraph of the letter, so I encourage you to go ahead, go to the link down in the description and read it for yourself. It's a phenomenal read. I loved every second of it. Anyways, back we go to the story again. Galileo's theological background, however, couldn't save him from what was to come. In 1615, his papers were submitted to the Roman Inquisition on the premise of rewriting the Bible and looking a lot like Protestantism. Well, that's not good. I won't go into detail on the trials, but the results of these events led to both the banning of Copernicus's book, De Revolutionibus, as well as the requirement that Galileo gave up supporting the heliocentric model in total. Now this might sound like the end, but the story doesn't end here. After these events, Galileo began working on a book about heliocentrism, and lucky enough for him, in 1623, his friend, Maffeo Barberini, Italian is suboptimal, but I hope I pronounced that right, became Pope Urban VIII and allowed him to publish the book. It does help to have your friend being the Pope. Now, there was one caveat, though. The book had to not advocate for heliocentrism. So Galileo created his famous book called Dialogues Concerning the Two Chief World Systems, where two individuals, one defending heliocentrism and the other geocentrism, debated against each other. Unfortunately, however, whether on purpose or not, the Pope found the geocentric defender called Simplicio, which might not have been the smartest name for the character, looked rather foolish, and also deemed the text an attack on geocentrism. Having now upset his support of the Pope, and probably one of the worst people to make angry at this time in history in Europe, Galileo was brought to Rome to defend his book. 
Throughout the proceedings, Galileo is recorded to have denied actively supporting the heliocentric model since his last run with the Inquisition, even when threatened with torture. Now, in the end, Galileo's book was banned, and he was put under house arrest for the rest of his life. He was also charged with heresy with the requirement to recant the theory that the Earth orbited the Sun. Despite the fallout that the discovery of Jupiter's moon had on Galileo's life, he did seem to live the rest of it fairly well. Notably, he completed his greatest book, Two Sciences, during this time, which outlined his work on kinematics and the strength of materials. Now, Galileo brought so much into the world of science, especially as we just mentioned that book about kinematics and material sciences, which we haven't even covered, uh, there is a lot to go over. So he brought a lot, especially to the field of physics and astronomy and engineering. These include the following discoveries, which I'm going to list off one after the other. Because if I went into a lot of detail again, we'd be here for a long time. And as much as I'd love to talk about Galileo forever, <laughs> we do need to eventually have an end point to this show. So, first things first. He was the first person to conclude that the moon was in fact not flat and had mountains and craters when he viewed it through his telescopes. Pretty awesome. He also recorded that Venus had phases similar to the moon. So just as the moon waxes and wanes, so does Venus. He was the first person to the record observations of Neptune. Now, he didn't actually know that Neptune was a planet, but he did happen to actually spot it and recorded it down. He also studied sunspots and even made maps of the sun recording where these sunspots were. He was also the first person to discover that the Milky Way was in fact a bunch of closely packed stars. Not in fact, just a spray, which people used to kind of consider it to be beforehand. He published a book called The Aesir, which proposed that the world should be viewed using mathematics and its tools, not with the current method at the time, which was scholastic philosophy. And as a side note, there's so much more to this book, and it's considered a pioneering work in the scientific method. So if you have the time and you're interested, check it out. I don't have a link for it, but you can probably find it anywhere. It's a classic. He also studied the vibration of strings with his father. Now, his father was actually a lutist and was a major player with regards to music theory. This is Vincenzo Galilei. So you can probably find out more information about him elsewhere. But again, we're focusing on Galileo here. As you might remember, he got into physics pretty much because of pendulums. So of course, he did a lot of work with pendulums, including showing that the square of the pendulum's period is proportional to the length of the pendulum. That's pretty awesome. He created the basic principles of relativity. Now this is not Einsteinian relativity. This is Galilean relativity where the laws of physics are the same for any object moving in a straight line at a constant speed, and so absolute frame of reference for the universe does not exist. There is no absolute frame of reference. Now, this is probably the sort of relativity that you did in high school, where you have someone on the coast looking at a boat, and on the boat there's an ant walking across the boat as the boat's floating down the river, and what is the actual velocity of the ant with respect to the boat, with respect to the person, with the velocity of the person, with respect to the ant, etc. He also very famously proved that the time it takes for an object to fall is not related to its weight. Now the legend goes that he dropped uh, two balls of equal size and different mass from the Leaning Tower of Pisa. This is most likely not true, since it was only recorded in the biography of one of his pupils. However, that is still up for debate among the historic community. We're not going to worry about that. 
Now, he even tried to measure the speed of light. And although this is unsuccessful, it's pretty ingenious. Pretty much, it involved two people on two hills uh, about half a mile away. Probably should have gone for larger. Now, half a mile is 0.8 kilometers. And on these two hills, each person would have a lantern with a door on it. So the first person would open the door with the lantern, and then you'd start recording the time, and then the person at the other end would then, once they saw the light turn on from the person opening their lantern door, they would open their lantern door. And then once the first person saw the light from the second lantern, you'd find the time that it takes for light to travel there and then back, approximately. Now, unfortunately, light is incredibly fast. It's actually 300,000 kilometers per second. Definitely out of the range of a distance of 0.8 kilometers. This ended up with Galileo inconclusively being able to determine the speed of light, and it would be many years to come until that was officially discovered. Now, he also did many more experiments, which we don't have the time to cover, but they're a bit less prominent as these ones. Now, his impact, as you can probably see, is incredibly substantial, so there is absolutely no argument with his title, of the father of modern physics. Now, Galileo ended up passing away after suffering from a fever in 1642 at the age of 77. He is today, and forever will be, one of the greats of science. Now for some fun facts. Fun fact number one. During his trails with the Inquisition, rumor has it that right after declaring his rejection of heliocentrism, Galileo mumbled under his breath, and yet it still moves. Now, unlike most legends, this one's actually thought to be true. Why's that? Well, at least a century after Galileo's death, we know that this phrase had been attributed to him. And many historians believe that it had been attributed to him for much longer. So it's quite possible that people always associated this with Galileo. Fun fact number two. Galileo did go blind when he was older, however... It's a complete myth that Galileo went blind from looking at the sun. Why is this? Well, when observing the sun, he did not actually look at it directly through his telescope. That will burn your eyes out. I did it once when I was little. I was stupid. It hurt a lot. Don't do that. He actually ended up projecting the image that came through the telescope onto a piece of paper. And that's how he actually mapped out the sunspots that we mentioned before. So he likely went blind from actually developing cataracts. Fun fact number three. Galileo's brother, Michelangelo, was not quite as famous as Galileo, and actually decided to follow in his father's footsteps and became a ludist. However, he was nowhere as successful as his father, and was a constant financial burden on Galileo and his family. It's actually believed one of the reasons Galileo ended up creating inventions similar to the Galilean telescope was that he was trying to make money so that he could offset the cost of his brother leeching his money from him. Well, he wasn't leeching it, he was being generous and trying to help his brother have a living and survive. And unfortunately, his brother was not very good at making money. There's actually some really funny stories about this. One of them was that one of their sisters had a dowry, but their father had passed away. And so, so they had to pay the dowry that their father had promised the boyfriend of their sister before he passed away. So. Unfortunately, Michelangelo, not having any money, wasn't able to do this, so his brother-in-law brought him to court to pay the dowry. It's these weird little antics that sort of ensued because this man just decided to be a musician and didn't have any money. 
And finally, fun fact number four. If you're interested in Galileo or science in general, and you're in Florence, Italy, visit the Museo Galileo. It features a wide range of scientific instruments from the collection of the Medici family, who are patrons of the Galileo, and also currently houses three of Galileo's fingers on display, which were collected when they moved his body. That's all for now. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Relative Greats. Galileo was one of the coolest scientific revolution scientists, in my opinion, so I had a blast doing this. I'm a physics major, but I've also always had a love for history. This is a perfect marriage of my two interests. Now, there are three more of these coming up, and if they're received well, I'm definitely going to do more of this. I've been your host, Owen, and thank you for listening to The Quantum Mic. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Quantum Mic. Join us next time for another interview episode where we will learn about the Canada-France Hawaiian Telescope, which is on Mauna Kea in Hawaii. You can follow The Quantum Mic on Twitter at quantum underscore mic to stay up to date with the show. Let us know how we did by leaving a review and subscribing to our show. This episode of The Quantum Mic was hosted and produced by Owen Dara. Episodes were edited by Owen Dara, research was done by Owen Dara, and The Quantum Mic podcast was created by Owen Dara. The music used in this episode was created by Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening, and we'll hear you next time on The Quantum Mic.